0: Welcome to the 3WD In Vino Fabulon podcast. Hi, I'm Laura. And I'm Patrice. And we're your co-hosts with the most for the In Vino Fabulum, that means in wine story. We think there's a number of tales to be shared about women and wine, and this is a space where we hope to learn more about both. We really want to welcome our guest today to the episode. Her name is Kelsey Merkley. She comes with us to talk to us about a few things like the Uncommon Woman Project. You may also have seen her attach the Creative Commons CC Canada Project on Twitter. We'll get talking to her about both. She is a believer in functional pocket feminism, loves whiskey, has a fantastic partner in crime, and she's got some fun photos on her Twitter and other threads. And we'll talk a little bit more about that and what it means to be uncommon women. So Kelsey, please welcome to the podcast.
1: Ah, uh, Thanks guys. I'm so thrilled to be here. This is super fun. These are uh, the uh, center of all things I love. Perfect. Well,
0: besides what I've introduced you and your bio, can you tell us a little bit about why we should get to know you or what, what we should know more about you, maybe in the field of what you do in work, fun, or play?
1: Uh, Cool. So I run a project that uh, started off the side of my desk, uh, is still mostly off the side of my desk, um, but taking up more called Uncommon Women, uh, which seeks to find more opportunities for uh, women in leadership roles uh in the open movement. Uh and for the open movement I consider that like libraries, academia, um, Creative Commons, Wikipedia, Mozilla, open source software, um, all that sort of stuff. Um uh, because what I was seeing uh with a lot of friends of mine who were um female and in really doing amazing work, uh but were in operation roles and consistently saw men who I most of whom I really care about and I think are brilliant people, um, but they were the ones who were thought leaders. They were the ones delivering the opening keynotes. Uh, and it started to bother me cause I saw the women as the ones behind the scenes getting the shit done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and the men getting the praise for being thought leaders. Cause that is how in this sort of era that we, uh, see sort of, um, interesting things being done. It's like, well, here's this long, you know, long medium piece, uh, when I talked to my friends, it was like, man, I just like don't have time for that. I'm too busy doing this other stuff. Um, and so I started to get really interested in how do we start to re-think uh, leadership through a, fem- a female lens. Um, and so that's uncommon in a nutshell. One of the biggest things we did last year to kick off was a coloring book, uh, which you may have seen, uh, which is a ton of fun. We launched it at the Creative Commons Global Summit. Uh, You can download all the images. Uh, I was inspired to do that by this great comic uh, named Rory, who did a project called 100 Women, 100 Days, uh, where she illustrated women for Wikipedia, uh, women across history. um, And she just crowdsourced 100 options and then she made this fantastic poster. And then I convinced her to do a project for me. And so uh, now her and I are actually just about to launch uh, our Kickstarter campaign to fund uh, next year's or this year's 2018's coloring book. Um, but yeah, we've had a ton of fun with that project. Um, that project is uh, at the intersection. Uh, which is becoming, uh, rapidly becoming, uh, innovation buzzword. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I'm making a lot of of these days. The things I I care a lot about, which is uh, open and leadership and opportunities for women. Uh, but yeah, I've been at Creative. I've been volunteering with Creative Commons for many years. I actually started volunteering with Creative Commons uh, when I lived in Cape Town. Uh, and one of my favorite stories to tell is uh, people. Often ask how I got to Cape Town, and I get to say by bicycle. Um, Sweet. Too- Tell me how that works over on <laughs> <in> water. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, technically, I flew to, uh, uh, to Cairo uh, in 2010, uh, and with a group, it was actually a company who did it, but uh, I worked for them, and I did communications uh, for a company called uh, Tour d'Afrique, and they take a crazy group of cyclists across Africa. So, uh, I've ridden my bike all the way across Africa, wow. uh, which is a tremendous experience. Uh, I'm pretty epic and yeah, still, um, certainly defines a lot of, uh, the things that I think about these days.
0: Fun fact. Uh, if you don't know mm-hmm. this already, the one with doing zany adventures is from Canada. Kelsey <laughs> is from my home and native land and, uh, it's been interesting to hear a little bit about your pan of African projects in the open. So openness and what that means can be connected to, as we know, textbooks, educational resources, courses, uh, now being co-opted by platforms and other places in terms of that, you know, the fancy word MOOCs that we thought was new in 2012, <laughs> to um, the leadership and the roles they're taking. And I think you've had an interesting shape being a leader for areas in creative commons as well as openness. But what are some things you've learned from cycling down to Cape town and then returning back to Toronto now in terms of your work and your work with women in this area?
1: Yeah, I think one of the ways uh, that really has uh, shaped my thinking is um, seeing exactly what it's like for someone to live in extreme poverty, which is a thing those of us uh, in North America really have no uh, idea about. Um, and we think that we know what it's like, um, to be poor or to be, to struggle with life. Um, but we just, we just don't really know. And so when you think about the opportunities for, um, anyone who's from the global South and their ability to participate in dialogues that are happening, uh, mostly in Europe if you're sent to a conference, and the, the challenges, the real challenges that it is for them to be able to get to attend. Um, so I, I take my experience of living down there for such a long time, and I work really hard to be a bridge builder uh, between those two places. And whenever I have the opportunity to sort of be a, add a voice to that community, um, the one that might not regularly be heard, Um, that I I do so pretty loudly Um, and making sure that people have scholarship opportunities um, because the difference of a scholarship of at 50% versus a scholarship at 70%, it still means that someone who lives in the global South is probably not going to be able to attend at all. Um, And one of the things I think is really important about that is the, uh, for lack of a better term, it's the opportunity cost that we miss out on. It's not, like, oh, here we got to send someone from Africa to this conference. It's actually like we miss out on hearing the ways and the amazing things that they're doing and the ways that they're solving problems. Um, it's always been my a little bit in the back of my head of if someone ever gave me a massive fund like a Bill Gates walked up one day and was like, "Here's a whole pile of money. You should decide how you want to give that out. I really think I would just give it to travel funding um i think travel funding is one of the hardest things to be able to get money for and it's one of the most valuable things that anyone can be given
0: so when those voices don't even show up to a table a conference a space a meeting then what gets lost i think you're right absolutely i was going to share a little bit about like how that how you got involved in that like what was your kind of path forum before you hopped on the bike to get to Cape Town (laughs) let's talk let's backpedal a bit on the bike and share if you share a little bit about kind of what brought you into this area of work in the field because I think it's it sounds like I can sense um the areas of social justice and education Mm -hmm. coming together but what got you there in the first place to think about the needs and access and all that good stuff
1: so, I somehow, I was raised in Alberta, uh, just outside of Calgary, Canada, and I think I'm like one of the few socialists. Um, I don't really know how that happened, my parents are not, um, but I pretty much got out of the province as quickly as I could, because I realized I wasn't amongst friends. Uh, there are a lot of great people from Calgary. Um, there are a lot of great things that are being done. Um, I should not take so many shots at it. Um but, uh, yeah, I've, I mean, I've always had uh, socialist leanings. It's always been something that's really important to me. Um, and I think that is something, uh, certainly while I lived abroad, this, this like, deep sense of, uh, like, that I, I like to think, and maybe I'm wrong or um, overly nationalistic in my views, but that, like, the way that can Canadians uh, support one another through things like healthcare and through reduced cost to universities? Um, it is certainly not perfect um, by any stretch of the imagination, but that we do fundamentally believe that you shouldn't be bankrupt for having cancer. That's a um, thing that is uh, that is really important to me. And I think we should, as Canadians, actually should speak up and do more. Um, and we should be looking at uh, national trauma care. Anyways. Uh, I I am a librarian uh, by background. Uh, So I've been a librarian for a number of years. Um, So I think a lot of my work in open kind of comes from that desire for access to knowledge. um, And it's sort of a shift, um, a step a step away from the library certainly one of still of curatorship um and of like wanting to be able to connect as many things and people as possible um it still guides a lot of my work but um that uh the idea that information should be readily available to everyone um and that that's the thing that is going to make the difference um in the world and seeing how uh um uh, how how the difference that, uh, the opportunity for education can make. It's funny. You're making fun of MOOCs. I love to make fun of MOOCs, uh, because <laughs> hop on the line box. Guys, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, they, like Coursera was going to change Africa. And I was like, nah, it's not, <laughs> like, it's really not, uh, the thing, like you can't just hand someone a course and be like, here you go. Um, uh, you're now going to definitely take the time and have the opportunity uh, to be able to take this course. If you're someone who doesn't have access to the internet 24/7, or is mm-hmm. paying for uh, most people in Africa pay. If you're an underprivileged person who lives in Southern Africa, you're paying for like megabytes per minute, uh, mm-hmm. not for gigabytes per minute. Um, so I know Canadians love to complain about our very expensive cell phone costs, which they are exorbitant. Um, but uh, yeah, but there's not. Like the the barriers to people's opportunity for education is a thing I think a lot about, and they're often not just a textbook cost. It's often like, well, we made it digital, and it's like, well, if you're a person who lives in a township uh, and you're trying to learn off your like 19 or like 2009 Nokia that has limited cell phone access, um, or like 3g uh you're not going to be able to get the thing and you're not going to be able to have the experience that everyone else is having um uh, and like maybe you don't even have power to be able to keep that thing charged up uh continuously for you and then the bloated internet that we send people to these days uh websites are getting like more data heavy um these are like all things that in from the global north we don't do think about at all
0: See, and this is why I say librarians are going to take over the world. You know this, right? Because they're the ones that help. It's, it's not about books. It's, it is about information and knowledge and access. So thank you for telling me I'm a secret uh, librarian and I'm friends of the librarians. So I would say they're leading the revolution, folks, and you should have one around your team more often.
1: So, mm-hmm. Librarians are a fascinating bunch, I think, uh, because there's like, there's definitely a bit of a divide amongst them. There's, like, a lot of librarians who are, lack of a better term, dinosaurs, who are just, like, sitting around, carrying on, like, things should remain the same, don't mess with the system. Um, I mean, like, you just have to look at Library of Congress, like, not having a digital program for such a long time, uh, and then, like, bam, like, Carla Hayden drops in, and, like, now, all of a sudden, we're going to see epic things from Library of Congress pretty pretty soon. Hmm.
2: So you you talked, I mean, I'm interested to hear more about some of the barriers related to technology, because I I did a lot of work in MOOCs. And I was definitely like, when I first stepped in, like you said, oh, like, we're going to push all this content out and change the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Mm -hmm. very quickly realized that access to the technology and the tools Mm -hmm. that you need was a barrier. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you have any thoughts on ways that we can overcome those barriers or you know, get that content to the people that still are not able to access it?
1: I think a lot of things comes from, like, thinking about things from a user experience, Um, and that's often really difficult um, when you haven't been anywhere near that type of user, um, or you've lived somewhere where you've always had, uh, like, pretty solid access to the internet, and your internet isn't shaped, really, in any sort of way. Um, So I think that's the, the big thing, is actually, like, when we... You know, there was a woman, a 1st nation woman from Vancouver who was talking about um, opportunities for uh, people, uh, for women uh, to try to get access to to finish their education at Vancouver College. And she said, like, that's great that you provide, like, that the whole course is available online. Uh, My Social Housing doesn't provide, like, only provides internet between these hours and these hours. They block um, YouTube videos, uh, which is really common, Um, and and the only place I'm able to access the internet is from the college which means then I have to bring my uh, I'm a a single mother so then I have to try to bring my kid along and then that kid is like wandering the streets or wandering the college hallways Um, and I think we often think about these things from very privileged places um, when we should be thinking about them from like like, who is the user um, and how do we Best serve them
0: I, I think we have that in North America too like you said you've given a perfect example of Vancouver um colleges trying to provide access but we have no shortage of areas that are rural that have no, zero broadbands, and they can barely download a file let alone stream um, mm-hmm. audio or any sort of uh, video content that we're trying to make all flashy and whatnot for courses or just for messages we're trying to put out there. And I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Like I think we have some assumptions with literacies in that area as well. So how do people mm-hmm. actually get into experience and navigate something that may look different from course to course to website mm-hmm. website to website is a good example. As you said, the wild west of the web we're in, that we yeah. just have these expectations that everyone has a common um, leveling field when they don't.
2: hmm mm. So you've talked a lot about some really interesting projects you've worked on and biking across Africa, which is now on my bucket list. (laughs) Um, But can you share a story with us of a moment that just really sticks with you or something that was especially rewarding that, you know, when things are tough, you kind of go back to and keeps you going? Uh, That's a good question. I
1: mean, I can think of a recent, um, like there's one like, it happened quite recently. Uh, so I'm uh, on the job hunt right now because I've been doing consulting work uh, for a long time. And all of the work I did in uh, South Africa was like contractor grant hunting, um, which is a you know, thing I think about a lot as we try to, the Creative Commons is expanding its community and Wikipedia is growing theirs. Um, that like, that there's big challenges of like, while we're growing. The community so much that there's like actually not that many jobs for people in this particular obscure corner mm-hmm. of the internet um and that most people who work work at universities or you know do other stuff um but yeah so i'm job hunting job hunting if anyone i know you guys are both <laughs> like it is like the most painful experience uh, in the world uh my husband recently commented about it he's like it's like when you were dating um, and pe- like you felt this rejection because like they didn't think you were good looking, except for when you're <laughs> job hunting, you feel like everyone thinks you're not smart enough. <laughs> <laughs> it is sad. Um, anyways, I ran a, one of the things that we do with Uncommon Women is that we uh, I run panels um, at conferences and I was lucky enough to attend open ed uh, and ran a panel there. Um, which was actually the first panel uh, I'd done, and just like it was such a tremendous experience. Um, it, there was like, we were well over the fire capacity for the room. Um, People were really engaged. There was uh, women um, across sectors and across um, levels in their careers. So there was everyone from uh, Kathy Cashley at the Hewlett Foundation, uh, who's obviously a long term uh, open education advocate and uh, formerly with Creative Commons. And uh, to women uh, very early in their careers, asking you know very different questions, um, and it was tremendous. And one of the things that came out of it, um, and it's certainly something that I've been advocating for for a long time, is that we uh, consider at conferences providing childcare, because um, mm-hmm. I think when we look at conferences, uh, it is predominantly men who are able to travel. Um, that um, if you are someone who has kids, then your ability to travel is, is you often it's like is he traveling okay then i'll travel and like trying to sort that stuff out and i know all families are different and certainly within our family we run that differently child care opportunities at conferences has been a big thing i think it's important not just for women but also a number of guy friends of mine or men friends of mine say that like they miss their families and they would love the opportunity to be able to travel with their kids Mm. um, if they knew that there was somewhere that they could go and then they could, um, could like come pick them up at the end of the day. And I think we talk a lot about like bringing your whole self to your com- to the conference. Um, and I think these are things that we, uh, we need to think uh, more about. And then um, so we spoke at length about this at OpenEd, uh, about the importance of this thing. And then Mary Burgess um, at BC Campus. They announced their uh, Festival of Learning that's happening uh, in a few months then. Mm-hmm. We'll take a and look for that. Yeah. I looked at that. Yeah. That, that looks right. good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're offering childcare, care. Um, uh-huh. And it was just super cool that, like, something that you go from, like, just having a conversation about and it's a thing just, like, I've been yammering about for a while that someone then goes and does it. Um, and like what that means, and what that means for people who are able to attend. Um, and I'm really curious and excited to see how it impacts um, and to talk to Mary and Amanda Coolidge, who's there, and like find out if that changes the attendees or if that made it a better experience. That's awesome.
0: Hmm. I would say hmm. the far, far and few between think about that, or families attending, or any others of spouses whether whatever the makeup of the family is they don't really think of that they just assume people come and attend a conference and i am questioning that more these days so i think that's great you touched on uncommon women but tell us how that little nugget got started and what it is and how it's grown and what the heck are you doing because i have an amazing sweatshirt or hoodie from your uncommon
1: group but i want to know more about this so please ah cool uh, so yeah, it's been, um, as I said, it's the thing that's running outside of the desk, um, it's slowly taking out more of that, uh, which is super exciting. Um, it actually started as a, I think the place that it started is that I was attending the Desmond Tutu lecture uh, in 2014. Uh, and Mary Robinson, who's the president, uh, former president of Ireland, uh, and was the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, um, spoke, and she was a delight. Um, I also got to meet Desmond Tutu that night and got a Desmond Tutu selfie, which was like one of the coolest things uh, of my life ever. Um, yeah, that was an amazing moment. Uh, For me, um, because I think what he's done around reconciliation in that country is uh, just beyond words. Um, But she talked about uh, a a chunk of her speech. She talked about the importance of gender equality in decision making in rooms and the value of amplifying voices and being an advocate uh, uh, for women leaders Uh, and having to bring more women voices into the room and she had this very simple recommendation uh, and she said that women in positions of authority should walk into a room that's dominated by men and they should ask simply what is wrong with this room uh and she said she had done it a number of times and that it was always uncomfortable and this was i mean this was 2014 so this is way before me too or any of the stuff that we're uh like in the middle of right now um but that that men would look around and would eventually realize, and then slowly things started to change. Um, And so that was always a thing that like sat kind of in the back of my head. And then uh, I think in the era of um, like post- uh, Hillary, um, the the thoughts around like nasty woman, and that's not really. I think it's a, an amazing label. It wasn't one that I particularly identified with. Um, and then somehow uh, the idea of uncommon women uh, just kind of came to me. Uh, so we've done a number of different things. We've had uh, a couple different panels. Uh, I was lucky enough to interview who um, was at the time uh, Ontario, Ontario Deputy Premier uh, Minister Matthews. Uh, who's also the minister for higher ed uh, in Ontario and she'd given eCampus Ontario a million dollars towards open textbooks um, and she was a, a delight to sit down with for an hour um, and hear about her uh, Ontario's in the middle of they just announced or they were just enacting uh, the minimum wage uh, shift uh, and pushing it up quite a bit um, and of course people are very up in arms about it and there's a lot of Politics about it, but I think the thing that we don't talk about enough, uh, specifically around um, minimum wage issues, is that most of the time that impacts women, um, and that most of the people who are are, are like service workers um, or uh, medical aid uh, support um, or childcare and that those people are not making minimum wage which is shocking to me um that right. you it's would some put your vital <laughs> areas yeah 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 that you would put your loved ones your children or your parents into the hands of someone who's not able to feed themselves or is not able to live a, a full and like complete life um and that that's uh Yeah, it was such a pleasure to do that. Uh, I ran a couple, I call them pop-up coloring sessions at conferences. So whenever I'm at a conference, uh, I bring a stack of coloring sheets from the 2017 uh, coloring book and uh, I travel with, I'm probably one of the few people who travels with like a full stack of markers uh, and pencil crayons and Mm -hmm. uh, just run a coloring session, which is a ton of fun to do at a conference uh, because it just kind of is like a bit of a chill moment i'll find like a corner at a conference and just invite people and throw it up on twitter um we was lucky enough to or like sadly because we lost uh basil carterville um who was a, a long time member of the open community of Creative commons of mozilla as um, someone who um, i was lucky enough to meet once uh, but it's also someone to me who really identifies who I think uh, is emblematic of the open movement um, because he crossed across. Oftentimes there's pieces of the open movement who want to take ownership and say that like, well, I'm a Wikipedian and that's all I am and I'm open education and that's it. Or I'm a um, But he crossed every boundary. He was a Wikipedian. He was open source software. He was Mozilla. Uh, he was all of those things. Um, so it was a great loss. Uh, to have him but we uh, made a coloring sheet and he was our first uncommon ally Um, and then, one of the things uh, that I think is really important to talk about with uncommon women and when I run the panel sessions I always ask two questions I give it out sticky notes um, and I ask two questions and one is um, what is a thing and to be very specific uh, about that thing that a woman in leadership who's attending the conference could do right now for you? Um, and to be very uh, precise and clear about what that thing is. And then the second question, um, and I think certainly in this era of Me Too, uh, the idea is around allyship. Um, it's getting pretty like complicated and um, getting to be a, a pretty difficult place is what, what is the thing that an ally can do? Because we um, we are responsible for asking um what we want out of allies. Um, that is a thing that is, that is our duty um, to be able to say what we want. And it's certainly out of space so that we want them uh, to be able to tell us what to do. And they don't really want to. And the lean in, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of lean in, but I do think they do a lot of great stuff. Um, but they released a survey last week. Um, and I can send you the link for that. Um, but I talked about the percentage of male managers who were uncomfortable uh, mentoring women, uh, has more than tripled from five percent to sixteen percent. That's terrible. Um, mm-hmm. It's is a terrible thing. That's exactly not what we want. Um, and that senior men are three point five more times likely to hesitate to have a work dinner with a junior level woman than with a junior level man. Um, and that thirty uh, percent, almost thirty percent of male managers are uncomfortable working alone with a woman, um, which is more than almost more than twice. Um, so this is not the change we were looking for. This is not the thing that we that, that we want to do, um, and like certainly I know there's like jokes about it. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's like the blockchain consent mm-hmm. app. Yeah, so like we're not going to solve this by making like a consent to work app. Um, that's I, not I the think, point. Yeah, that's yeah. not the point of this. Yeah, and like women have been uncomfortable in these scenarios forever. So like one, I feel a little bit like yeah, I'm sorry you're uncomfortable, but you should embrace mm. the uncomfortableness and we're towards that um but also like i really think like broad sweeping a society we don't tend to have an appetite for restitution like we don't believe that people uh in time served um that we're not um that there is this in this call out culture um sort of this like complete takedown of people and not any opportunity and certainly that i've not really seen a lot of appetite for uh what does reconciliation look like um and that's the thing that uh, i'm doing i'm really thinking a lot about i think this like me the me too movement is incredibly important and i'm really interested in a lot of the things that have happened but i think that there's also a little bit of a puritanical feel about it there's this like little edge to it that scares me uh, that's around like this kind of scarlet letter feel that like if you behave this way um, then you are cast out forever uh, and you're not able to come back and participate in any meaningful way. Um, and I think there are a lot of those men that are listening to the statistics are men who are our people um, who believe in feminist values and who want to do well in the world. And how do we, bring them along and educate them with us instead of making them fearful of the space. And it's annoying that we have to do the work, uh, in supporting that, but that is like, that I do think that's, that's our job. Uh, so. It's a a fair point
0: point. because this is something we've actually talked about. Um, like your uncommon women panels, we've done round table discussions and we've had men show up and, um, I don't know if we didn't think about it, but They want to know that they're in the right space, place, and as we have small group discussions, how do you include them? Because equity doesn't come with just one side, and we need to have both groups working together and talking about what that looks like. And something that our group, because we do have male listeners for the podcast and have had, um, we still hope to have, because I think they need to hear this perspective and Mm. this story and this side, as well as contribute to and have a discussion for and I think you're absolutely right it can't just be the call out shaming piece beyond moving towards what we might be biased being in education or in the area of education but if we don't have that education piece then what are we doing beyond yeah. just yeah that's scarlet letter is a great example mm. thanks Kelsey yeah I'm oh,
2: go ahead I would say just, you know, building on that, you know, as you said, there are a lot of women doing really amazing things in the open field, but there's a lack of women there as well in leadership. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts or advice, you know, beyond, you know, what we've we've talked about of steps that women can take to – because I think, you know, without women in leadership, we're not going to have – systemic change so women you know a lot of women are doing really good work but i agree i think they need to take that step
1: so one of the things uh that has come out and it was a stanford study and i can also send you the link to that um was the difference between uh uh, having a mentor and having an advocate um and that they're two very different things and the that having a mentor is incredibly important um it definitely helps um a lot of the things, but having an advocate, um, which is where I think the allies really step in is like having someone who steps up for you in those meetings and says, like, you should take the work. This person should move forward um, and isn't necessarily your like coffee buddy. Mm-hmm. An, an advocate might not be the person who's going to be your and like uh, person who will listen to the challenges that are happening uh, in your work, but this person is going to be the one who's just going to go to bat for you every single time. Um, and I think a lot of people uh, I know um, have been lucky enough, I've been lucky enough to have a couple of those throughout my career, and um, it one of the things I think is interesting is that... The, and I haven't yet figured out an answer to this. One that if you're any of your listeners do, or if you guys do, um, I think it's really interesting on how do you, how do you find that? Do you choose that one? Does that just come to you? Um, how do we think more about advocacy? And I think that's actually where allies come in because if you're someone who's interested uh, in supporting the movement, then one of the things you can do is to be an advocate, to be an active advocate. And one of the pieces, uh, the post-its that I got back from one of the panels that I had run that I think about a lot. And I think about this when I see it on Twitter all the time is to not just like a tweet to retweet it. Um, and that, that, is a different thing than endorsing. If you're a man in a position of leadership, you're not just saying like, yeah, I like that thing you're saying, you're actually pushing that person uh, message and voice out into the world. Um, and that is a very tiny, small example. But if you took that idea and brought it into your workplace and that every time you had the opportunity to showcase or to like celebrate or just to give someone an opportunity um, to take that feeling of like not liking, but like pushing it out, um, yeah, I think we need to fight. I think we need to start thinking about how we educating, how do we educate allies to be good advocates? Um, and that that work of women in leadership shouldn't necessarily be on w- women pushing to try to take leadership roles, but that should be the work of the allies to be better advocates for us.
0: Like it might not be a position, but it might be an opportunity yeah. or a project yeah. or a committee, yeah. someone mm-hmm. who could be really good yeah. at and shine. And, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think you're right. Sometimes we find our allies or sometimes they happenstance find you or maybe in a position or a place that they're just the ones that speak up for you or, as you said, like Mm -hmm. amplify your message in meetings Mm -hmm. or other spaces or, yeah. Mm -hmm. The other question you asked, I really liked. I wondered, is there a common kind of theme or answer when you ask what's the one thing you're – um, leader that works that supports you or your supervisor could do to support you in
1: another way like what do people answer in that question so we usually just to be clear I ask that question from like what is a like a woman leader could do okay. um yeah um uh that one um like there's been a lot of uh like and the clique um like that the the people definitely identify and like that is certainly a problem within a lot of spaces and I think you guys would probably speak to this uh, better than I could I worked in academia very briefly um, but the, the stepping on women uh, that we tend to do to each other uh, when they're only and there's a lot of uh, there's a great article uh, that was in the Atlantic um, about why women are mean to each other in the workplace um, and it spoke about the when you only create one opportunity uh and there is only one opportunity to advance um then we will continue to fight for that opportunity um and we will push each other aside for that one opportunity um and instead what we need to be doing is like simply making the pie bigger like that they're just and this is where i i think a lot about um, how do we reshape what leadership looks like? Because I do think right now we think about leadership as um, sort of being at the top of a pyramid and someone who has a lot of reports. um, And I think all of us have worked for someone who's not very good at uh, managing humans, like the care and feeding of humans. And some people are better at it than others. um, And that is not a gender thing. That is just like, the way that we push people through um, their career path, I think is through a very male lens right now. Um, And if we shifted that out and if we made leadership not necessarily just about people who report to you, um, yeah, what would that look like?
2: So with that in mind, I know, I mean, off the top of my head, I can think of some women whose voices are pretty prominent in the open field. Mm-hmm. Are there any women that you would suggest we start fol- following or amplifying their voices who maybe, you know, are, are don't have quite as broad of an audience?
1: Oh, that's such a fantastic question. Um, so there's a woman here in Canada named Lorraine Chu, who I love, um, who pushes uh, all sorts of amazing envelopes. Uh, she works a ton in um, open access. Um, and is like a volunteer like um, in the early stages of her career. Um, but is someone who works harder than anyone I know. Uh, she will run just about every conference she possibly can, and does graphic design and also does uh, coding schools um, here in Canada. Uh, she's based here in Toronto. Yeah, um,
2: oh, gosh. You can share them yeah. with us after yeah. if you want. Send the yeah, yeah, yeah. On their, the Twitter handles and any contact information. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. There's a lot of like
1: uh, like Katie Steen uh, would also be someone um, who I think is fantastic. Uh, she's a junior at Spark. Um, yeah, I'll think on it.
0: No, that's a good example, Patrice, because I mm. think you're right. And your comment about cliques, I it was it was something I brought up to our bigger group to say, hey um we are a group that hangs out but I don't want it to be feeling like it's an exclusive group so how do you do that well with uncommon and kind of how you lead and support that group and how do you keep it kind of I'm the same thing like I don't want to even feel like it's an inclusive group I want people to feel like they can come go connect um how do you do that really well with your uncommon group
1: or any other projects you've worked with uh, so something I think about a lot, and I think it's so I think it's as a result of being a middle child and mostly always feeling excluded from <laughs> everything, which I think is uh, so something that maybe only other middle children uh, can really <laughs> identify. With. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe others do. Um, but um, someone gave a great comment in one of the posting yeah. sessions, um, which was like, introduce yourself uh, like to someone new at every opportunity um and so uh when i get to these conferences there's often i mean it, it is filled with people who i love uh who i don't get to see very often um who live across the world uh, and i'm lucky to consider uh, many of these people in my family and that like it's like i get to see them every few months um so it's very easy to just slip into a like cozy comfortable conversation uh at lunch um but the the opportunity to sit somewhere else and to introduce yourself and to say hi and to um, just chat. I mean, I I love, I also love to meet people and hear their stories. Um, So that's always uh, a thrill and exciting for me. And I, I, I have this thing in me that is like a giant puzzle that if I can connect someone to someone else, that's, like, my favorite thing to do. Um, mm-hmm. They say, like, a thing they're working on, and I'm like, ah, I know just the person to talk to. Um, that is the thing that fills me with a great deal of joy. Um, so, yeah, I think just take like be conscious of it when you're in those spaces um and uh just like walk up to someone who's sitting on their own or i think a lot of conferences it's something creative commons did and i know a lot of other conferences do it but like newbie breakfasts um Mm -hmm. I, i i go to it Uh, Just to say hello, um, and just to say hi and chat with people. And I also so I clearly remember my first Creative Commons conference. It was in Warsaw. Um, I didn't know anyone. I had just been just joined the community in South Africa. Um, and they were like flush with cash at the time because they gave me a scholarship, a travel scholarship to be able to attend, uh, which like I always thank Jessica Chokes, who's in Australia, uh, for that, because um, she did that uh, for me, not knowing me from anything. Um, and it changed the course of my life and the work that I do and certainly has impacted me in ways uh, that I just I can't even express. Um but like not knowing a soul there, like no, not knowing anyone and how like everyone there knew each other. They were like this massive huggy family. Um, and that there was uh, like a couple of women who came out and they were from the Arab community, um, which was all the trend. Like they were the like cool kids at the conference. Cause that was right after um, the square and, um, the uh, egypt up- or the uprising um and yeah they just like took me under their wing um and so any opportunity you have to sort of take someone else under your wing it's the it's mm. thing i just i think if you can take one person and just say like hello um like how's your conference going um that makes a really big impact
0: that's mm. some sound advice and i, I encourage mm. others to do that whether it's in a room on a twitter handle wherever just reach out to people you don't know and Mm. yeah start that conversation with others
1: it's one of my my favorite things and i feel like we've really lost this on twitter and I, i really miss it is that it used to be this now i feel like the engagement on twitter has really been lost like people don't chat to each other anymore um but like the idea that someone could just reach out to someone and say like hey i love that I love that movie too. I also love Black Panther. It was amazing. Um, yeah. uh, like have a chat about that. That was, it's just like not a thing we do anymore. Now we just like retweet an article or like share something um, or like talk about a thing that's uh, like on our issue. Um, but I, I, I love when I get a like, good back and forth with someone uh, on Twitter and feels like something that used to happen all the time and now feels like a thing we don't. So I, I look, I look for those opportunities to be able to chat on Twitter.
0: You should start them. I try to pick up on some of my old friends, but I do some new <laughs> friends as well. And if they post mm-hmm. something, I have questions about, or like, I don't know, I was thinking of different people that posted like things they accomplished lately. And I was like, Oh, I finally, you're doing something with your life. Well done. And <laughs> I think it's really smart to do. Um, Tell us when you gather with friends you get to catch up with, whether it's in South Africa, in Warsaw, Canada, or who else Who else knows where you're going these days with travels. <laughs> um, what is a favorite beverage you like to enjoy with either peers, familia,
1: friends? Um, it can be wine or not. We're open. We're open to other things. It's a tough question for me, uh, and I don't know that I can answer one. That's okay. Um, you can have my, multiple. There, you can have multiple. My head. My husband teases me uh, because I refer to myself as an efficient drinker, uh, which just means that I drink really fast uh, and usually. <laughs> um, but I have reframed that under the lens of being very efficient. Um, so he has introduced me to this deep, more crazy world of natural wine. Um, oh, which is go on, please. That I love. Uh, so this evening I'm drinking um, a wine from Canada, uh, from British Columbia, called the Wild Ferment uh, from Haywire. It is from uh, my favorite place and a place that I consider my, my home. Um, there's this amazing word, uh, just like side uh, note, in uh, from Zimbabwe called your kamusha. So if you ever meet uh, someone from Zimbabwe, ask them where their kamusha is, because kamusha means, um, roughly translates to, like, where your people are from, hmm. um, which usually means, like, where your grandmother, or, like, your great-grandmother lives, or your grandmother currently still lives, and it's usually, like, outside of um, Harare and it's in a small village. Um, but, like, kamusha is, is something that is, like, very deeply felt within uh, Zimbabwean culture. Um, but I think about that a lot as someone who's lived abroad, um, and also like I, my my Kamusha is definitely in a place called Penticton, British Columbia, uh, which is a tiny corner uh, of uh, of the world, which is on a lake and has skiing in the winter and amazing wine. So I thought I would drink some of that. Uh, but natural wine is not or not organic wine, okay. uh, which can be pretty complicated. But it's basically like at least. Invasive as possible wine. So winemakers take whatever they have, um, and they don't uh, put any b- additional chemicals into it, um, and they make the wine based on that. Uh, its result is often something that is referred to as pretty funky uh, tasting. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's a technical
1: um, term for it. So,
2: yeah. so does that does that it slow is. you down?
1: <laughs> Not particularly. <laughs> Uh, Someone's getting married. Our wine cellar has expanded exponentially, uh, which I don't think. <laughs> there's, is there
0: um, anything wrong with that? Adding to the I, don't think,
1: no. it is, I think that's just like adding. Um, but it's uh, so my like my favorite term when I'm at a restaurant and I ask someone uh, like the to to bring me some sort of funky wine. I'm like, well, I'm really looking for something that has a bit of a baby diaper or a barnyard. Uh, and <laughs> Most recently, my favorite description um, uh, is, like, that I I really love something with a lot of tire fire. (laughs) So, like, I like, I like a lot of,
2: like, a a lot. I'm I'm going to steal that phrase the next time I order a glass of wine. Yeah, do it. Uh, It's delightful. There's, like, a lot of amazing
1: natural winemakers. And these guys are the guys that are on the edge edge of wine making oftentimes this wine that style of wine is actually what how we used to make wine um but it's not the way that we like that california or new zealand or like uh some of the big wine regions took over um and like put a lot of um like chemicals into our wine uh to make like massive quantities and like it's mm. not to talk about that that wine's bad um, and this wine is better. It's not it. It's just a matter of taste. But there's something that's interesting. There's a great article. um, It's actually Men's Health. Um, But it talked about... uh, No, it was an Esquire. Uh, I talked about like that your palate changes once you start drinking natural wine. Um, And I have definitely found that that, like that now the things that I crave and that I want is that like really weird smell. Um, uh, And Ryan always teases me that I have like, what if I order a glass in a a restaurant, I'll like spin it, smell it. And I'll always go like, yeah. And that's how we know that it's it's wine that, I like, <laughs> that we're gonna like. It's so no specific, like, ooh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so, so I'm a big fan of lines. natural um, wine. Sounds like small batch
0: wine almost.
1: Yeah, like, distilling. Yeah, all over. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're just not able to produce. I mean, I don't think of anyone is producing it in mass quantities yet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's delightful.
2: So while you're while you're enjoying a glass of natural wine, is there anything you want to share that you're reading now?
1: Hmm, I just finished reading Cheryl um, Sandberg's book uh, Option B. Um, I recently lost my father um, uh, at the end of last year, um, and so her book is uh, the, about grief. Um, and had to deal with that and has this like great quote, um, which I think that we can take through like all corners of life. Um, and someone says to her after she had lost her husband, um, and she talks about how she just wants things to be the same and her friend says, Well, we don't have any option on plan A anymore. We're just gonna have to keep the shit out of option B. Mm,
2: and yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. so I, I read that book about a year ago, but actually my, yeah. my dad just passed away, so maybe I should oh. Maybe I should dust it off and read it again. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm sorry. I found it. Yeah, I read it about a month after, um, and found there was like definitely things in there that were helpful. Um, You know, issues around self confidence uh, and like having to like deal with the new, like your new piece of life. I've lost both my parents in the past eighteen months, Um, so I like to think that uh, when you lose your parents, that you become a superhero. Um, and so that's yeah i think like there was a there were some really great pieces in there um which i don't think i would have appreciated having not gone through this mm. as well. i'm also very sorry for the loss of your dad it's oh, an incredibly difficult thing mm. thank you
0: so what's your superhero power now
1: i don't know so i'm waiting for it to appear the thing that i'm <laughs> <laughs> Is to be able to do things really, really fast, like to be able to like read books really fast or like get changed very fast. Um, The other superpower I would like is uh, immediate to bed. I have that one. It's
2: not, not a good one, actually. So don't go for that one. Yeah, <laughs> no, the, like, I, I can I can fall asleep anywhere. <laughs> no, so
1: it's the like when you're feel, when you're on the sofa and you're like all cozy and maybe you're cozy with your dog or your cat or whatever and you're like oh I have to get myself to bed um, but man. I have to like brush my teeth and wash my face and like do all the other house stuff um, and so the idea the power just feels to, to be like
2: immediate bed.
1: That's true, uh, okay. All
2: right, that, that I would be a fan of, yes. Yeah. Not having to disturb the kitties, especially. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think just being able to be like,
2: which I think also falls under the
1: like, do things really fast. I'd be, yeah. I, I would like to be able to like, read all the things I need to read. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I'm thinking about starting with Uncommon Women is a book club. i um, like to start a, a Slack a Slack group um, that that talks about things. And I think uh, not just necessarily about books, but also like what are, what links are people reading? Uh, What are things that are impacting? Like, are they listening to you? I'm a huge podcast nerd. uh, So are there any podcasts that are making them uh, think about things differently? I love on being. I love love
2: that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. um, I feel like there's things in there that I go back to. There's actually one. So, um, while you're going through this uh, time of loss of uh, your father, there's an interview which um, she does with the, um, ah, what is the name? I'm going to look it up. Because I still have it on my phone because I go back to it. Uh, John O'Donohue. Mm. Um, so go back and listen to that. It's okay. beautiful. He talks about this thing, uh, maybe a bit of an aside, but um, that, uh, that, the, there's a place within all of us um, within each of us rather um, that has never been broken. Uh, And so our job, our duty, when we go, when we pray uh, that's for you or to meditate or uh, whatever that practices for you, um, that's what you go back to. You go back and you kind of touch Mm. with that place that's inside of you. That's not never been broken. Um, And I think for a lot of us that have had, big challenges in life that that, for me, that's something that I I think about a lot.
0: Well, you have us at Book Club and Nerdy Now on podcast, so please (laughs) let us know of any of the above. Um, Is there anything else right now percolating for you that you want to talk about or share about or things coming up that you're looking forward
1: to before we wrap up and say adieu to you? Uh, I'm not sure when you guys are launching this, but we have the Creative Commons Global Summit in Toronto um, that's coming up in April, uh, which is going to be really exciting. Um, So I would encourage you to check that out, either uh, if you're able to join us in person, uh, if not, then online. I know they work really hard to be able to extend that. Um, I'm taking Uncommon Women on a West Coast tour, uh, and BC Campus is taking me for Open Education Week. Uh, to do two panels, one in Vancouver, one in Vancouver Island, and Victoria. Um, I'm really thrilled to go there uh, and do that because one of my favorite professors from Royal Roads, from my communication program, now runs the leadership program there, and she's agreed to be on a panel, um, which is super cool. Uh, her name's Jen Malinga. Um, she's a former, yeah, uh, Canadian Olympian and rower, and an amazing human. Oh. So. Super excited to be able to get the chance to spend time on a stage with her and Mary Burgess, who runs BC Campus, because they're two women that I greatly admire. This is like super nerdy, um, but like functional pockets are like a really big deal for me because um, it's one of the things that were taken away from women. Like we took pockets away from women um, because they thought they were too dangerous, that women might be able to leave the house or carry swords. Um, <laughs> or uh, hold house keys. And this was like an active decision that they decided to take functional pockets, like pockets that held things away from women. Um, and so, uh, like, a, about a year ago, I moved, when I moved back to Canada, like a year and a half, I bought a pair of jeans um, and the pockets, like, barely fit like into my knuckles. Like, I was like, mm. what is this? This is not a functional pocket. <laughs> That's sacrilege. So um, I'm a girl with dresses with pockets all the time. Exactly. Like I had just, yeah. I had, I had pockets stitched into my wedding dress last year. Um, yeah, I was like, of no. <laughs> I was like, I need pockets. I need to be able to put things in them. Um, and actually, I have a stepdaughter, and none of her clothes come with pockets. It's weird. Um, where do you put like, the phone? <laughs> like, where do you put anything? You don't have anything. Yeah. So, so, um, like, my when my husband travels, I, I, he, and like, you, you say this to men, and they're like, I don't have that, like, breast pocket like in a suit jacket, like none of my jackets come with that like internal pocket to like keep my passport. No, you're no, right
0: though. It. Absolutely.
1: Just this like, and like, I take the opportunity to tell men as often as possible. who's like, I don't have that pocket. That thing you have, like does not exist in my world. And I think it also shapes the way that I think about feminism is like, where are the things that it is practical? Like, where, where can I insert my feminism practically mm-hmm. in my life uh, on a day-to-day basis? So that's why I call myself a functional pocket feminist. I love that. I like uh, that. I like that.
0: Yeah, you're right. Uh, you didn't bring to my attention because that's all I look for is for pockets with things. So <laughs> I, I, I can find loads <laughs> of those. That's why I was like, yeah, I'm all about the pocket. Where can
2: you
0: yeah. put it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, where do you put your <laughs> stuff? Well, this is not the last we'll probably hear from Kelsey. We'll we'll bug her again another time, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd love to be on uh, one of your group discussions.
0: Absolutely. Hey, we, we're still <laughs> figuring that out. So um, thank you so much for joining us and taking time to chat with us at your busy schedule. We appreciate it.
1: It's been a delight. Thank
0: you
2: so much for having me. Yeah, thank you so much.